Fucking. All right, all right, restart, restart. You're fucking it up. You're like my six-year-old. Think calm and collective thoughts and then say what you want to say. So I hit somebody with a tire iron, right? Because they wouldn't help me load my groceries. It was at school. So the principal was there, the vice principal was there, the teacher, the student, and their parent was there. And they said, you're expelled. And I was like, why? They're like, well, the jury said, you're guilty. And I said, tell the jury they're wrong! And I killed them and fucked their dead bodies. (laughs) That's not how that happened. (laughs) That was awful. That's our start. I don't know. No. I was going to say. I just thought of it like today at like 4 a.m. I was like, this would be funny. But once I said it out loud, it was not funny. You did you did good on backing up from the mic, though. That was a very <laughs> solid move. The, I'm going to keep all that to make you feel like a fucking idiot. <laughs> I'm wearing a shirt that says, I love emo bitches. You really think that's going to fucking... You do. Do you have an opening? A segue so we can... I thought you had one. Was that That it? wasn't it, was it? That was it. Oh, my God. You know what? I'm actually really glad that we're covering this serial killer today, man. Honestly, he's one of my fucking favorites. Uh, I actually really like learning about him. I think. So fucking... today's episode is going to be a bundleful of information. He's fucking punny, man, with these Bundy jokes, dude. These Bundy jokes, man. I don't know. Who's uh, your favorite serial killer, man? Again. Who's your favorite serial killer, man? Man, that was mine. Again, <laughs> yeah, pussy. You're okay, I want I want a conversation Wait, between your two Edgeens, and I want to see how it turns out. He Go. doesn't like Edgeen. I yeah, don't fucking care about Edgeen. Edgeen's a serial killer. No, I. He technically is, but like, it's just he was more of a. I'm gonna hack dead bodies apart and like turn them into things. <laughs> this is Actually, super ghoulish. Yeah, he I like was. how you're saying it. Like it's like not a big deal. I mean, it is. He used to go into his front yard naked, wearing a mammary vest, something he specifically called a mammary vest, with a nipple belt. And that's what and I do. And he would fucking bang on a human skin tom tom. <laughs> and he's like, Nah, dude, he's boring. Yeah, dude, that's. <laughs> I do that every fucking Tuesday. You're right. That is fucking boring. Shut up. Dude, I have more fun with Ted Bundy because he fucking, he has this whole journey. I like learning about him. I'm sure you guys have your fun facts about fucking Ed Gein, but I mean, the Ted one, Bundy. I've never fucked Ed Gein, and I don't have any facts <laughs> about it. The one thing I will give Ted Bundy over like, like Jeffrey Dahmer is Ted Bundy is a man when it comes to killing. Jeffrey Dahmer had to get fucking drunk. No, was- so did Ted Bundy. He literally has multiple quotes saying, I had to be so inebriated just to fucking get rid of the part of me that would not let me commit these crimes. Yeah, he had to have, like, a shield up. Dude, like, he was always he sober? No, all of it was drunk because that's why his fucking... That's why he was always... All of his murders, except for two, took place at night because he was always, like, getting hammered all day. Ted Bundy? Police are on the scene of a deadly shooting at graphic orgies of blood and violence. Mutilation, decapitation, torture. Does that sound entertaining? More blood than a blood bank. Have we got your attention? Unbelievable crime at the hands of satanic cults. Despite dozens of tips, help from federal agents, and a $40,000 reward, investigators say there are few solid leads. If you find this disturbing, just wait, because there is a whole other dimension. You are now listening to a morning cup of chaos. And with that, we are a morning cup of chaos. I am your fearless leader, Tyler Campbell. Today we are covering Ted Bundy. Who do I have with me? I'm Talon. That was the most... (laughs) I'm your diabetic daddy, Talon. Say your fucking name. (laughs) My fucking name's Dylan. I'm the intern. It it wouldn't... I would talk to Robot Talon. Do you think if Ted Bundy had a robot to talk to, he'd fuck it? He probably wouldn't be murderer. He'd fuck it. He would. You don't think so? Mm-mm. You don't think so? So if he but, had, but por- the thing. So here's the thing. I think if Jeffrey Dahmer or Ed Gein or somebody had like, if Jeffrey Dahmer had Grinder, he wouldn't be who he is today. Yes, he would. No, he would. Yes, yes he, he would. would. He would have been even worse. He would have been way worse. Yeah, there are, there are serial killers today that use those apps that fucking. He was get getting in. dick every day, bro. His butt wasn't lacking. No. <laughs> he just fucking. Do you know anything about serial killers no. that we talk about? No, I'm just throwing out false information there. But I do know that the Dahmer series on Netflix was like that first episode was not accurate whatsoever. No. Because that guy who survived, I guess, from what I heard, like, exaggerated shit. Yeah, he's a little bitch-ass motherfucker. 
Who survived a serial killer? Who survived yeah. a serial killer? I don't so. care, fuck him. <laughs> he didn't even get raped. You don't know that. <laughs> we do. Shh. Just yeah, nothing. Well, it's between either him or a dead guy. That should say a lot that the dead guy got <laughs> fucked. He was a bad. He was an ugly guy to the core. <coughs> so you want to go ahead and get into the story of Ted Bundy? Of Tedrick Bundy, Tedwardo Rodriguez Bundero, Theodore Rudolph Bundy. <laughs> Fun fact of the day. Yeah, he actually got pulled over during his crime spree, and the cops were like, we need to keep an eye on this guy. He's driving a white beetle. It sounds just like it, and his name is Theodore. And it's like, because he didn't, they they were going after a guy named Ted. <laughs> yeah, because he, he, he was very creative in his last names. No fucking imagination whatsoever on his first name. Dude, you know what? He's probably staring at himself in the mirror whenever he did it, too. He's like, uh, nickname, 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 nickname. Uh, Rodriguez. Ted, Ted Rodriguez. They'll never guess it. I like that. I'm going to go with the most authentic Mexican name I can. <laughs> Ted. Gomez. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I <clears throat> His... His whole thing is actually kind of crazy when you really think about it. Well, Everything that it, went man. down. I want to I want to dive into this pickle. No, we're not going to This We're not going to dive into this because we have to talk about Bundy is a baby. Ooh. I'm excited to hear about uh <laughs> Uncle Grunkle whatever the hell he, you know, he's got going on. Grunkles Grunkle Steve. Stan, Stan or Steve. Uh, he's got, he's got the weirdest fucking upbringing, man. I'm going to try. <clears throat> I'm going to try to reason with him. Like You're going to be the fucking, you're going to be the Ted. You're I'll, be, I'll, like, be, I'll be Ted. I'll be like, you know what? I can see that happening. Who are because if I had to fuck my sister who slashed my mom. He didn't fuck his sister, mom. How do you know? Because he was, he there's was always, too, he was too busy. <gasps> this, this case does have incest because his dad's his grandpa and his mom's his sister. No, because if you actually read it, you stupid cocksuckers. No. Yeah, there's no incest. He, there's no incest. Jack it, disproves it, it right away. Back in 2020, something happened. Or they used DNA to prove it. Yeah. He's not. He, he didn't. It was just a rumor that was started because you know what? basically his mom had a baby at too young, and she was too much of a mess. So the, the, the grandfather stepped in before Teddy was old enough to, to really have any kind of conscious memory. So they just became the parent. I still like to believe in incest. I know you do. It's weird. <laughs> It, it, one day we'll come across that bridge in therapy. Did and... you go meet Jay, or George R.R. while he was in town just to be like, no. hey, man, I just, wanted, <laughs> to say, I just wanted to say huge fan of your work and then pulls out a still of the brother and sister having sex. <laughs> Today we are here to discuss maybe the most iconic American serial killer ever, except for Ed Gein. Nope, you're wrong. This is my favorite serial killer of all time. Let's that has go. nothing to do with he's iconicism. The he's the best. It has nothing to We're do with We're about to find out why he's the best. And by the end of this, you're going to shit your fucking pants and be like, you know, I never knew. If he you was know, the we best. We might not be the best podcast, but we're iconic, and I'd prefer to be iconic. Fair. If, if Ted Bundy was the best, he would have gotten caught. Yeah, Zodiac's the best. Fuck you, pussy. Jack and the Ripper's Jack, the best. I was going to say, and Jack the Ripper. No, that doesn't count. He's not the best. He just did it before you could get caught. Fair. <laughs> Fair. Nobody he got did. in trouble in the 1800s. The except Black for witches. Back Black Dahlia? Yeah. The Black Dahlia? The Black Delilah? <laughs> hey there, how are you? <laughs> yeah. I just up into 50 pieces. It's been real, it's been fun. Now that smile looks so pretty. Yes, it does. The Black Dandelion. Black Dahlia. Dandelion. Black Fadil. I hate you. Stop. <laughs> Dahlia. Here Today we, we are here to discuss maybe the most iconic of American serial killers. Many of the victims of... Theodore Robert Bundy, the subject of our discussion today, were discovered in pieces, making identification difficult. With an unreliable source of information who is known to frequently lie, which is himself, it hasn't been an easy task to piece together Ted's movements during the time of his murders. Certain names have been changed for this podcast to respect the survivors and victims, using the pseudonyms they have been given with writers, journalists, and reporters before us. Before we dive into the murders, makeup, and sororities, we have to go way back and look at how you build a Bundy. That like, sounds like Talon's college career at there. Murders, <laughs> makeup, and sororities. You know, if he wasn't a serial killer, I can see him like a Build-A-Bear workshop, but build a I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> build your own serial killer. Mommy issues or daddy issues? 
He wasn't even. I don't know. Is I that the, like the kind of fluff that you put inside the bear? Mm-hmm. Is it a yeah. build a Ted? Yeah, because that's like the just, soul. Yeah. Okay. We'll get into this later, but I, I honestly don't even think that the upbringing was such a huge thing. No, I, no that's why he was. That's I why honestly so think like... that it was just that lady, just his his first girlfriend. Is like I think that is like is the what ultimate, sent him like... over the fucking edge. Like mm-hmm. I think he could have just been like a guy I would bully in school. A yeah, little bit, because I used to bully medium popular people, because I was pretty popular. <laughs> You're such a douchebag. No, but Ted Bundy... <laughs> so was he. <laughs> Ted Bundy was... Like, he, didn't he didn't have anyone. To be determined. Me too. Um, I don't think it's something you would be about, <laughs> you know, about. Ted Bundy was... He didn't display any of the uh, triads, did he? Mm. Like, the, he didn't set any fires. He didn't wet his bed. But that's been disproven anyways. The McDonald's the McDonald triad. triad's been misproven. Kathleen Ramsland fucking put kicked that shit to the curb. Yes, she did. Doesn't matter anymore. Now nope. anybody could do it. Is that like one I of used those to fucking... piss all over a big stuffed bear in the corner when I was a kid, <laughs> but I didn't kill anybody. <laughs> <laughs> we all got okay. our issues growing up, man. So this is no longer a Ted Bundy episode. This is a Dylan Schemmel. Let's talk about your childhood. I am oh, so just... worried about you. I know, man. It's hard growing up. Being a weird kid, you know what I'm saying? But I didn't murder or kill anybody, or murder or rape anybody. Eleanor Louise Cowell, better known as Louise, she was born to Eleanor Miriam Longstreet and Samuel Necht Cowell on September 21st, 1924, and she was raised in their home in the Roxborough neighborhood of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. That's why Sylvia! That's why he's a serial killer. Because he grew up in Pennsylvania? No, so did fucking Will Smith, and he's not a serial killer. Yeah, he's, he's just doing just really fine. Insecure. He yeah. just fucking punches people in the middle. He TV. slaps. That's his, he's not even a punch. His husband is scary. I, yeah. I, I hear <laughs> to him about that. Keep yeah. my husband's name out your fucking mouth. Eleanor was described by one of her daughters as an overweight, housebound diabetic, represent base talent. Her. Who had suffered from a stroke? Base. That's your future. <laughs> I like this. I'm uncomfortable. While she rarely left the house, Eleanor was an emotionally absent mother. She struggled with intense bouts of depression and agoraphobia, regularly undergoing electroshock therapy. Oh, shit. EST, baby. We (laughs) fuck with that shit. They used to fuck up so many kids. (laughs) She had been diagnosed with psychotic depression. Oh, fuck. Psychotic depression? You know how fucking crazy you gotta be for that? That's like being, like, way more than just depressed. Like, you don't just go lay in bed. You go lay in bed and, like, murder your kids (laughs) or think about it. But it is theorized that she may have had a form of bipolar disorder. The electroshock therapy she underwent was not something that would have been prescribed or beneficial if that was the case. Eleanor would swing between near-catatonic depressive episodes and manic episodes where she was irritable and spoke in excess. Eleanor's condition was only made worse by her marriage. Samuel Cowell was known as a violent drunk and a strict Presbyterian. He abused animals in the neighborhood, like kicking dogs and swinging cats around by their tails. Yeehaw! During these times, Samuel reportedly physically, emotionally, verbally, and sexually abused his family. Some of the townsfolk remembered him as a sexist, racist, and imposing. Others regarded him as a talented landscape gardener and botanist. And just to think, he's on America's Got Talent. Wow. (laughs) Digging deep. That was a Simon Cowell (laughs) reference. I didn't even think about that. I didn't like that. That's nice. Imagine if when you died, you're known as two things. Violent, <laughs> drunk, and racist. That's three. And a little... Oh, okay, fine. Five things. Sexist, old, racist. Fuck you. <laughs> you're known as sexist, racist, and old, and a dickhead, all right? And then the other thing that people know you for that aren't terrible things, he goes... He was a pretty good gardener, though. He knew <laughs> Dude, a lot he knew of how to fucking flowers. grow some shit, bro. <laughs> He used his fingers for a lot, like sexually abusing his family, but his gardening thumb, top Ugh. tier. <laughs> He's I don't want to think green. about him sexually assaulting his family with his brown thumb and then turning it into his green throw. That's <laughs> fucking terrible. Soil fertilizer? Oh, goodness. Out of bounds. <laughs> <laughs> Luis and her younger sisters, Julia and Audrey faced abuse from their father and neglect from their mother on a daily basis. Audrey remembered being thrown down the stairs by Samuel for coming home past curfew. Julia claimed that he once yanked her out of bed so hard she stumbled down a three-step landing for sleeping past 9 a.m. Louise recalls that her father beat her... Sorry. You're fine. 
Louise recalls that her father beat up her mother on more than one occasion and often yelled so loud at his wife that she could hear her sorry she could hear him around the corner from the family home. However, all three daughters also agreed that Samuel was never violent with anybody. So what I think of that means is like <clears throat> he's never attacked anybody outside the family. It's only inside the house. Yeah. <laughs> so it might be one of the things looking outside in. They seem like a good family. Yeah, but then you have little little Audrey walking around with the big ass black eye, and she has to explain how she ran into the same door like fifty fucking times. And you can hear them screaming up the street. Oh yeah, there, there's no even there's not even music at this point in time. That was like <laughs> forbidden by churches and shit. No, it wasn't. No, I know. You're fucking. <laughs> I was like, I had to really think about that. I was like, I don't know, man. The church, you couldn't be black and be a Mormon until Dude, like fucking the seventies. It was the nineteen yeah. twenties. It was like fucking nothing but music. Uh. Oh, yeah, that's true, because they got rid of alcohol, so they needed something to keep them from killing themselves. Despite the abuse and neglect at home, Louise was a rising star throughout her high school years. She quickly took on roles as a president or leader of multiple academic groups. She remembered once receiving a B in one of her high school courses and noted that it may have been where progress was halted for her. Luis went on to explain Luis went on to explain that only one scholarship was given away to her graduating class. The student it was awarded to was a well-off girl, someone who had only received A's throughout high school. Without the scholarship, Luis went on to try her hand as a department store clerk. Man, some of these people in high school that are like, <clears throat> "Oh, I got a B," and it was like the end of the fucking world. I was like, "Bitch, I'm getting C's, and I'm proud of myself for that." And they're getting B's and like think it's the end of the world because it's messing up their 4.0 GPA. Well, yeah, but you're okay in. with being stupid. Yeah. <sighs> These people are getting like beaten to the ground of like you need to be good. Did we played parents... football. We didn't. Ca- we did not care about <laughs> fucking. Was you you were say, <laughs> we were we did not the... care about fucking being a fucking 4.0 student. <laughs> I, th- I think I graduated with like a 3.7. I graduated with a uh, 2.6. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> fantastic i i'm pretty sure i had like all d's all the time i was gonna say didn't you get like a 2.0 <laughs> oh dude it might have been even worse with that than i mean i was fucking uh i was barely at school i gra- i was gonna say i graduated 11th grade with fucking a 1.4 so you can get pretty low <laughs> yeah you can, you can get, get like you all get d's fucking- bro when louise became pregnant out of wedlock at 22 she was sent to the elizabeth lund home for unwed mothers previously known as the home for friendless women Wow, they have a building for it. <laughs> that sounds really bad. I'm glad that they changed it to unwed mothers because friendless women makes it seem like not only they're bitches. Do you not have a dad in your life for that baby? You don't even have friends. <laughs> alone. You're alone. It's just you and a baby. That's rough, dude. That's <laughs> fucking rough. The Lund home was a large Victorian-style manor that was renovated for unwed mothers to have a safe place to live and receive care. Each resident at the Lund home had a room with a bed and a few other pieces of furniture. At the front door, a bowl of wedding rings were kept for the residents to wear while they were out and about to hopefully deflect some of the unwanted attention that unwed mothers commonly received. They had a fucking bait bowl. <laughs> They're like, we don't want the we don't want How? the local businessmen thinking you're a whore. <laughs> so take this wedding ring. <laughs> God, and then he meet the right guy, and he's like, oh, you're married, see you, bye. And she's like, no, no, you could have taken care of me, fuck. After the woman had given birth, the Lund home would offer them help in rehoming their children, and would even refrain from referring to the children by names, opting to use numbers instead. Oh, fuck. Wow, it's like prison. Yeah, it's like Hitler. No, we took the, we're taking everything from the Nazis. <laughs> oh, boy, this was before the Nazis. <laughs> Boom! Hitler took shit from us! Dude, Hitler fucking... Did Hitler go to the Elizabeth Lund <laughs> home for unwed mothers to figure Did out he... how to work concentration? No, it would have been... What's his name? Himmler. Which one was the architect of the... Of the Holocaust? I'm pretty sure it was Heinrich Himmler. Nice. Because Joseph Mengele was the doctor. Uh, Goebbels was his... <laughs> Goebbels. <laughs> Goebbels! Louise happened to arrive at the Lund home right at the beginning of what was known as the Baby Scoop era. Between 1945 and 1973, a disturbing practice was being imposed on unwed mothers. Women who had children out of wedlock were often ostracized from society, and to prevent their daughters from casting shame on the family for the indiscretion, they would send them to at a home not unlike the Lund home. Baby scoop, do 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 do. 
I was thinking of the baby scoop era being like you walk into a Baskin Robbins and you can't get more than a tiny scoop because of the ice cream shortage of 1920. You're like, sorry, it's the baby scoop era. You can only have a half scoop. <laughs> We used to make up the dumbest fucking names for fucking eras. There's the boot, what the baby boom baby era, boomer. yeah, the baby boomer era, the fucking baby scoop era, and then the Cold War. Damn, we were dumb. It's uh, great. It's like following that was was like the Great Depression and World War Two. Yeah, no shit. Literally, only got worse for the next it, it, fifty years. Only just went shittier, man. And women couldn't vote. What a shame. <laughs> I know it's brave. I think they should have been able to vote. You are speaking heresies. <laughs> you have been hung by the church. Here, women were compelled, pressured, and intimidated by medical professionals and clergy members. It's never good when you get the clergy involved. <laughs> I'm sorry. You hear that word and it's bad. Mm-hmm. Clergy members to relinquish their babies and return to their families. Pretending that they had been away to visit family or ill, on average, the home would charge the mothers around $305.50 or $5,092.16 in today's buying power, which would account for fees such as the birth certificate and adoption services. Feeling pressured by the staff and unwilling to disclose or unsure of who the father was, Louise debated giving her son up for adoption. On November 24, 1946, Luis's son, Theodore Robert Cowell, was born. The operation was without complication, and Ted entered the world at 7 pounds and 9 ounces. On his birth certificate, Luis marked herself as the mother and left the section for the father marked unknown. Initially, Luis decided to leave Ted with the Lundholm. Upon returning to her parents, she and her parents discussed what would be done about the child. Two months later... Samuel Cowell decided that Ted would be a part of the family. Samuel claimed that he was Ted's father and that he and Eleanor would be taking the child in as their own. It's still unknown if Samuel believed he was confessing to a horrifying act or if he wasn't alright with the grandson being adopted into another family. In fact, it is still widely debated as to who Ted's father really was. It's still unknown to what extent Samuel abused his daughters, but it was believed plausible for decades that Samuel was both Ted's grandfather and father. That kind of goes together. Good grandfather and father? Yeah. I could be one of those. Wait. What? No. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Pump your brakes. Yep. However, with DNA testing in 2020, Harvard found that Ted was not a product of incest. Damn it. So that still leaves one question. Who was his dad then? When questioned, Luis had two different stories to tell. The first included a U.S. Air Force veteran and salesman named Lloyd Marshall. Some sources claim that Luis had a brief and unsuccessful marriage with Lloyd Marshall and that he left shortly after she became pregnant. The second story Luis put forward was that while married to Lloyd, she met a Navy veteran named Jack Worthington. Very little information is available regarding Lloyd or Jack, and it is theorized that both of them could have been entirely fabricated. I fucking hope so, because having a name with the same two letters to start your name is fucking stupid. If oh. you're a follower with the name Lloyd, change yourself. You don't like the little Lloyd? No. <laughs> Goes well with the llama. It's just fucking parents who had a stutter. Now you're being rude. Yeah, Doctors well, just take everything literal like stenographers. It's, it's <laughs> considered Parkinson's, sir. It's the shaking <laughs> that made the first L. <laughs> Lloyd. Oh, fuck. Lloyd. <laughs> My name's Lloyd Marshall. To hide the fact that their daughter had a child out of wedlock and may not know the father, Samuel and Eleanor took on the role of Ted's parents. They claimed that Louise was simply his sister and for the first three years of Ted's life, they all lived together in a colonial-style two-story house and maintained this lie. The lie was not convincing to young Ted, as family recalls him calling Louise Mommy by the time he was three. He later told co-worker Anne Rule and pretty good author she was also like an important character in his life down the road wasn't she yeah that was a suicide place right yeah well she they uh had correspondence for a long time and mm-hmm. he yeah they were friends they, they worked together at the suicide hotline and like when he went to prison it was pretty but he got all pissed off because she wrote a book and didn't tell that motherfucker well that's what happens whenever you go to prison for murder and rape and rape and necrophilia there you go i don't think they cared about that as much 
I really think they only cared about the first two, and they barely fucking got them on those. <laughs> Maybe I just figured out that there couldn't be 20 years difference in age between a brother and a sister, and Louise always took care of me. I just grew up knowing that she was really my mother. Regardless of whether he thought of Samuel as a father or grandfather, Ted grew close with him off the bat. Ted later recalled that he clung to his grandfather and identified with him. Ted and Samuel spent bonding time together in Samuel's greenhouse. Samuel allegedly used this time to reach his grandson about botany. However, the greenhouse also became a fixation for young Ted because he would sneak porn from his grandfather's stash and escape to the greenhouse to explore the material unmonitored. Dude, the fucking 90s. Is it, are you talking like you had like a, sp- a porn stash? No, I found my dad's old Playboys. I was going to say, it was like a box in the garage. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. a milk crates. He had a couple of milk crates full of them. I was like, I'm, that's what I found what a dildo was. Because I, I went to my mom. I'm like, what's this glass thing in the, in the vagina? She goes, tell it, Adam. You shouldn't be saying that. Where'd you get that from? I was like, I don't know. Where'd I just found it. you fucking narc. And then you got your dad in trouble, <laughs> you sack of shit. It's you horny little perverts out there looking for porn in the garage that gets everybody in trouble. So it's right here where we see Ted Bundy growing attached to somebody who's already a monster. And guess what? It starts right there. We already have this this demoralization of him, like, reading porn probably. You know, he, he feels... Oh, you thought he was into the articles? <laughs> I watch porn for the personalities. Tyler's like, yeah, he was reading porn. You don't read porn. You look at it and you, you jerk off porn. all yeah, over it. Read- so right off the bat, we already see Ted Bundy growing attached to somebody who's already a monster. I I mean, I feel like this man not only molded and shaped him, it just took like a catalyst to like bring that out and bring out that anger and the abuse. It, like, it doesn't seem like it was a fast or a slow transition when it came to when he was ready to do it. You know, once he felt that heartbreak, I'm sure he went straight into let's burn this motherfucker to the ground. So do you think this is uh nature or nurture? Oh, definitely. Definitely uh nurture. I don't. I'm indifferent. He, yeah. uh, he still is an enigma even after all this research and after everything I've watched, it's still, it, it's still one of those things that I just don't, you just, at the end of the day, you're just like... See, nature-wise, I, I believe it's nature because it's not... You said nurture. No, my bad. The reason why I said nurture is because it's not like he had a bad upbringing. Like, yeah, it was a little confusing, but he's not, like, getting... He had a figure in his life, kind of like Richard Ramirez did, where he had this uncle who was brainwashing him or talking him into the joys of hurting people. I agree. I wish that they went into the extent that they bonded i wish you know obviously you can only get what's given in this situation and like like we stated in the beginning a lot of the stuff we're gonna say is from the mouth of the horse himself ted bundy so it's really only you know he He waited until the day that he was being executed to actually give a real confession for the first time in fucking like eight years and if you watch his confessions like they have body languages that like break down everything he was doing. Like when they would ask, like, how do you, basically, how do you sleep at night? And he would laugh and be like, I'm innocent. I don't know what you're talking about. And he's playing this like nonchalant, like, and it's just red flags. There are moments where he like looks at the camera after he answers a question. Like he'll be like, like the office. Yeah. Kind of <laughs> like the office. Like he, he looks at the camera to, to like get their reaction. So he can see if he's fooling them. Like well, he is such a good manipulator, and he is the reason why I like him so much is because he is a chameleon. He is through and through a chameleon. He he can he can go in there. He can blend. He can get into your mind, and he can be your best friend. He is the ultimate psychopath because exactly he can re- like what you said. He looks at people to see their expression, saying, "Am I on the right track, or do I have to adjust a little bit?" We're we're gonna get into this a little in a little bit, or maybe next episode, probably both, but. It is crazy to take a look at him after we already did our Rodney Alcala story where how it's another case where if you ask me, they did the training to become the serial killers and the psychopaths that they are. They like Ted Bundy with the suicide hotline later on. That's a way to learn got to compassion. learn pain. Well, no, he got to I... enjoy pain. He knew pain. He got to learn compassion. He got to learn empathy. He got to learn how to how to take the feelings that people feel in, mm-hmm. which is something that Ed Gein didn't mm-hmm. to bring up another famous, probably more famous psychopath. 
In the first three years of Ted's life, Louise was urged by multiple family members to take her son and leave the home. Family members cited the growing issues in Louise's family home. Samuel not only left pornography all over the house and in places that were easily accessible to the young grandson, but his temper seemed to be worsening. Ted's behavior and fixation on knives also came into question around this time. At three years old, Ted snuck into his Aunt Julia's bedroom while she slept. Ted lifted her sheets and slid knives in a circle around his aunt's sleeping form. At what point is this a red flag? Like, I feel like this is immediately, like, I've got a two-year-old and a seven-year-old, and I've never woken up with knives surrounding this my is, body. This is the 40s, right? Huh? Yeah. The, yeah. Oh, this is boys will be boys. I go, that's not boys being boys, bro. <laughs> no, back in the 40s. That's a psychopath being born. Back in the 40s, that's everything that a little boy would do is boys just being boys. Upon waking, Julia recalled seeing Ted standing at the end of the bed, smiling as though he thought he had just pulled off the best prank. I mean, fuck, got you, bitch. Technically, <laughs> you got knives all around you. He'd be like the fucking snap to finger guns, like, ha, got you, bitch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right yeah, exactly. So I want to know if he, like, got caught, like, standing next to her bed, like, or did she wake up that way? Like, what would be more terrifying? You have this little boy, like, standing next to your bed, like, smiling and be like, ha, ha, ha. Just like, how no, long it, were you there? I mean, it says upon waking, so just imagine. you just like, <sighs> What the fuck is this? And then you look up and Ted's 10-inch cock's just standing there. <laughs> He's like, over there just fucking <laughs> masturbating, staring at you. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. boys. Louise quickly gathered her son shortly before Ted's fourth birthday and left her parents' home in Philadelphia to stay with her uncle, Dr. John, Jack, Cowell, and cousins, Alan and Jane Scott, in Tacoma, Washington. This is straight Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Oh, shit, it is. Except for not nearly as bad in detail. Well, because this wasn't on TV. Oh, true, true. So yeah. you're telling me if this was if Prince of Bel Air wasn't on TV, if Will Fresh Smith P- was just murdering his family? Or? If Fresh Prince of Bel Air was rated R, I guarantee you would be the same exact way. Weird. I don't. I don't know. What do you hot do take at from night? Talon Zimmerman? Yeah, that what was a hot take. Do at night. <laughs> with this move, <clears throat> with this move, Louise also changed hers and Ted's last name to Nelson, possibly to hide that Ted was born out of wedlock, or possibly to start a new life away from the abusive environment she was raised in. It was theorized, moving to a place where Louise and Ted knew nobody, Louise could claim that she was a widow and avoid the stigma placed against unwed mothers. For the first year in the new state, Ted and Louise had an uneventful, normal life. Ted later described this point in his life as, Yeah, I guess it was kind of idle. And recalled that he didn't understand or enjoy having to move away from his grandfather. However, Ted found another male role model in his great-uncle Jack. Jack was only a few years older than Louise and was a Yale-educated man of accomplishment and refined taste. He worked as a concert pianist and professor of music with Tacoma's College of Puget Sound and had a deep love for classical music. One of the key parts of Jack's house that drew Ted in as a young boy was a large, glossy piano he owned. Louise and Ted both remember the house being filled with the sound of classical music And with his financial security and high standing regarding the community, Jack was more than willing to take in Louise and Ted. Ted even found himself drawn in and in awe of Jack. I took to calling him Uncle Jack. Soon, he began modeling himself after his great uncle, much as he had done with his grandfather. Louise went on to work as a secretary for the Council of Churches in Tacoma at this time. She was convinced by a co-worker to get back into her faith as a Methodist and join the First Methodist Church. Louise was hesitant at first, but was eventually persuaded to attend the young adults' mixer nights at the church. On her first visit, Louise was introduced to a kind and caring hospital cook named Johnny Culpepper Bundy. Johnny was a mild, soft-spoken man from North Carolina who had just recently left a position at the Navy. Here's Johnny! Johnny was regarded as unlearned and possibly illiterate, and he possessed little in terms of ambition at this point in his life. He plainly wanted the modest life of a southern country boy. After leaving the Navy, Johnny became a hospital cook for the Veterans Administration Hospital just outside of Tacoma. Between his simple life, his uncomplicated situation, and his gentle southern drawl, Luis was smitten with Johnny. As for Luis, she was a timid, well-mannered Methodist woman. What does that mean? Does being a Methodist woman like change Methodist your personality? Is like a calmer Christian. Like yeah. they they're like a relaxed Christian. Mm, I like that. I like that. 
Because when my dad was in the Marines, he, they wouldn't allow him to put atheist, so he put Methodist because they're like the most, they're not anti-Christ, but they're the least religious of the religion. You just come from a line of rebels. <laughs> Johnny didn't question too much, and Luis didn't offer up any details and situations. Interactions were easy and natural between the two, and they immediately hit it off. After a few months of dating, the couple were married on May 19, 1951. Ted was not as accepting of his new stepfather as Luis would have hoped. Shortly before their wedding in 1951, Ted was five at this point. When Luis was out shopping with Ted, the subject of his mother's relationship came up. Ted threw such a large tantrum in the shopping mall Sears that he wet his pants before his embarrassed mother could corral him and exit the store. Look, so he did pee pee his pants. It reminds me of the episode of South Park. Reminds me of the episode of South Park where uh, (laughs) Carmen's in the, I think it was walmart or best buy on another occasion ted was exploring the attic with one of his cousins his cousin relentlessly followed ted around calling him a bastard (laughs) (laughs) to be okay i do that a lot too with like everybody i know so yeah when ted refused to believe him or admit it the cousin retrieved ted's birth certificate oh shit he pulled the fucking bc on the motherfucker That's deep, dude. These five-year-olds are fucking mean. Check in the this 50s. shit out, you bastard! You have no dad. <laughs> no one loves you, <laughs> dude. You don't get this reference, but you're a real John Snow ass motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> this is way before your time. Ted claims that he knew that Johnny wasn't his father, but the shame of this incident grew the seed of shame and embarrassment he already felt towards his stepfather. While Johnny still formally adopted Ted after marrying Louise, Ted never viewed Johnny as his dad or even as a male role model. Ted saw Johnny as a slow, ignorant man who didn't make enough money in his chosen profession. Felt that. I was going to say, I really <laughs> hope my kids don't think this about me. I hope they're oh. not like, he's a slow, ignorant stepdad. <laughs> oh, that part, yeah. I was just talking about the money. <laughs> oh. Oh. Ted was materialistic as a child and held his stepfather's low wages against him. He recalled daydreaming as a child about famous Western stars, Roy Rogers and Dale Evans, coming to adopt him so that he could afford the toys and clothes he wanted. Ted not only didn't respect Johnny, but he resented him. He would often make comparisons as a boy between his new working-class stepdad and his Yale-educated great-uncle Jack. Still, Luis and Johnny purchased their first family home on South Sheridan Ave and began their lives together. I think that right there, he's already developing like uh, a seniority complex with these people. Like he's he's able to put himself above <laughs> everybody, uh, having this mind mentality that like he was taught by Jack, and basically Jack was pretty much on a sense his mentor at times. So basically, he's got this grandfather who teaches him how to be aggressive, how to be angry. He's already showing signs of psychopathy, and then we've also got this, you know superiority complex with you know the working class man and those who stand above i agree wow thank you (laughs) riveting conversation it actually does make me think of where he is at a teen and college student level though because when you hear some of the stories later on it makes a lot of sense that he is as materialistic and and he knows how to use these things to make what he says count to people because I couldn't imagine sitting there and I just married some lady and her kid's like, dude, like my great uncle Jack had a piano. You don't have a piano, <laughs> fucking nerd. You barely have carpet, Good bitch. job, Good job making veterans food, you punk bitch. Ted's mother quickly fell into her new role as a housewife. Louise took to raising young Ted and shortly after marriage had another child to look after. Ted's first half-sibling, Linda Bundy. Two years later in 1953, the Bundy family moved to a larger home on... 658 North Skyland Drive. Over the next few years, Johnny and Luis had three more children, Glenn, Sandra, and Richard. While Ted didn't respect his father, Eleanor and Johnny hoped that they would finally get their son into a safe and healthy environment. When it came to his childhood, it's hard to peg what Ted Bundy was like. When interviewed, Ted has given a vast array of answers as to who he was as a kid. Ted was a notorious liar who often spins tales in order to elicit the reaction he most desired in interviews. To his attorney, Polly Nelson, he revealed that he had spent a good amount of time poring over detective magazines and crime novels, particularly editions with illustrations of severely injured or dead women. Putting on a completely different front, Ted once wrote to co-worker Anne Rule, I'd never, ever read fact detective magazines and shuddered at the thought that anyone would. 
However, he was always very steadfast on his first big hobby. In an interview with Mike Hodd and Aysworth, Ted remembered his early childhood with his favorite activity. He was a rather solitary child, but he still loved conversations. While he didn't hold many of his own with others, he had a deep fascination with radio. He proclaimed, You know, I'm a bit of a radio freak. He listed some of his favorite shows as Lone Ranger, Big John, KGO, and Sparky. A nightly routine for little Ted was to take his small antenna and ground wire radio, clip it to his metal bread frame, and fall fast asleep with the earpiece in. He remembered, I go to sleep with an earplug in my ear and wake up in one corner of the bed wrapped up in my tiny little wires. I'd get under the covers and listen as long as I could every night. This infatuation with radio continued on through most of his childhood and planted the seeds for his interests in documentaries, talk shows, call-in programs, news, broadcasting, and politics. Ted also managed to make a few friends in the neighborhood. Even if he was reserved and aloof, Oh. I think it's supposed to be a comma. Yep, that was my bad. Ted also managed to make a few friends in the neighborhood, even if he was reserved and aloof. Terry Storwick and Warren Dodge were two rowdy boys that lived nearby, and both took Ted in and became his first real friends. He finally is making friends. When asked about this time in his childhood, Ted replied, Those were the days of frog hunting and marble playing. Terry and Warren both recall playing pretend guerrilla-style warfare games behind his house in a field. The boys used spear ferns that grew in the area, chopping them off at the thicker, fibrous ends and launching them like missiles at each other. During these play fights, Ted usually kept himself pretty emotionally even, not taking any of the roughhousing personally. One afternoon, Warren tossed a spear fern in the air and managed to catch him with the woody course in just below the eye. Ted snapped. He sprang on top of Warren, fist cocked back, and had to be dragged off the boy. This wouldn't be the last time that Ted's rage boiled over in front of his peers. He joined the Boy Scouts with Terry, possibly as a way to gain more friends. Another way for fucking kids to get indoctrinated into society and then turn into serial killers later. The Boy Scouts, you're all psychos. Well, technically, the Boy Scouts were made for um, World War II. Like, the Boy Scouts were made so they could survive during, like, the wartime, like World War II. Girl Scouts were made... um, so they could, the kids could grow up, I guess the girls could grow up doing housewife chores, like sewing, knitting, and all that. Like, that's why, they, like, right now, it's such a big deal because they're like, why are Girl Scouts doing this and Boy Scouts get to do that? Because if you look at the core of the Scouts, boys went off in the woods because it they're growing up, getting ready for war. They're hunters. Yeah. Hunters and gatherers. The girls going to the Girl Scouts to grow up manning the house while the men are away at war. Like yeah. that—that's—that's that's the core of the Scouts. Right now, it's just regular Scouts because boys and girls can do whatever. But like at the core of it, that's—that's that's why they went that way. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking nerd. <laughs> Ted was, however, markedly violent and fairly unsuccessful when it came to most of the scouting activities. He had numerous outbursts, from shoving a plate in a fellow camper's face for cutting down a small tree, to sneaking up on another scout with a large stick and bashing him over the head. Bunny hit him over the head with a stick. It was a very deliberate attack on another person. Terry confirmed. He went on to say that Ted's eyes seemed to go from the normal blue to a deep, dark black whenever his anger got to the better of him. Ted became notably more dangerous during this point in his childhood. While he was ineffectual in most areas of scouting, it did teach him quite a bit about hunting and planning. Ted had already found his love of knives early on, but now he was moving on to another love, the tiger trap. Ted began digging holes around his neighborhood and filling them with sharpened sticks pointed upwards. Oh, and then he'd shit in it. <laughs> dude, like that's Vietnam. Like a Vietnam. <laughs> yeah. What were the pokey? Poonji sticks. Poonji sticks. Yeah, yeah, dude. Poopji sticks. Yeah, because if you'd survive, you'd still get fucking yeah. sick as fuck, dude. Yeah, dude. They were... He would cover these holes with brush to disguise them. Neighbors were horrified to find out one day that a young girl on a bike accidentally rode over one of these hidden pits. The girl oh. fell in and slit her leg on one of these sharpened spikes. Dude. Sandy Holt, a childhood neighbor that witnessed this incident, was asked to describe Ted Bundy as a child and stated, He had a big problem for a long time. He had a horrible speech impediment, so he was teased a lot. He just didn't fit in, even at Boy Scouts. He just couldn't get the hang of doing things the other kids were doing. He couldn't tie knots or shoot guns or win the races, and he had a temper. She then added, He liked to terrify people. He liked to be in charge. 
He liked to inflict pain and suffering and fear. As Ted blossomed from a young boy into a teenager, his behavior became more alarming. At home, Ted began challenging his stepfather more and more. Like he'd go to take a piss at the same time he was taking a piss to see which one's dick was bigger, and then he'd slap his stepfather with it. His stepfather didn't know that fucking Bundy had a 10-incher when he was three. Yeah, damn. Oh, my God. Using his wide vocabulary and education, Ted would verbally bully and provoke his stepfather. You know, Ted was way ahead of Johnny when it came to intellectual things. Harry recalled. He could just talk him into holes in the ground, leave him no way out but to use his body. Johnny is a man of few and simple words, and Ted was his match by the time he was in the sixth grade. In school, he maintained good grades, but still lacked the social graces it took to navigate high school. Ted was known as the weird, violent kid, or the kid who masturbated in the closets in junior high. Fucking (laughs) That's pretty base, dude. I never jerked off in school. Did you guys ever jerk off in school? Not in school. I don't think so. Really? Nuh-uh, you definitely jerked off in school. I don't think so. I don't think so. You're like the jerk-off guy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? I mean, you're like, you know, you're like the guy, you'd be like, I'm jerking yeah, off you here. I'm jerking off here. You know, you're not the walking guy. You're the, I'm jerking <laughs> off. Yeah, but you no, kids, I don't think... quiet down, I'm jerking off here. You know, I, you know it does kind of remember, <laughs> or bring back some memories. I was sitting in the stall just screaming about calculus. And Ted grew into a tall and traditionally handsome young man. However, he still didn't feel like he fit in as one of those guys. Ted detailed his experiences with sports. I never really got into organized sports because it just seemed so serious. He talked about how his physique in high school made him feel small. He had tiny penis. (laughs) While he wasn't on the short side, Ted often worried that he was too thin and that his features were too feminine. That's like you. That is honestly <laughs> exactly really. Like that is a lot like. If it me. wasn't for the beard, you'd be total babyface. I know, dude. That's crazy. I'm actually. I, here, here, you are the where, next Ted Bundy. Yeah, here's where I'm gonna say I'm a little bit like Ted Bundy. He also dismissed his disinterest in sports by claiming his family couldn't afford a lot of the equipment required. Both left him feeling emasculated and ashamed. Yet Ted still tried out for the few local basketball and baseball teams, only to be rejected. It was terribly traumatic for me. In school, he classified himself as shy to introverted. While he hadn't made it onto any organized teams, Ted wasn't totally antisocial or unathletic. In the local Methodist church, Ted ascended to vice president of the Youth Fellowship. He ran a regular paper route on his bike, and with his childhood home's location, Ted also found his love for skiing around this time. Oddly enough, it was through my deep interest in skiing that I became involved the most socially minded and socially active people in my class. With this hobby of skiing came a lot of expenses that the Bundys couldn't afford. Ted often shoplifted ski equipment, but there was also the issue of gaining access to the slopes. To remedy this, young Ted and several other boys came up with a scheme. In order to get around the costly ski tickets required to go up and down slopes, Ted forged passes through a delicate procedure of bleaching and dyeing passes he had already obtained. According to Terry, none of the boys were ever caught for this forgery. I got a question for you. Do you think he would make a great cult leader? No. I, you, no. Don't th- you don't think no. he's the forerunner of this? Like, whenever I hear he's the story... He's too antisocial. He is. Mm. Like he doesn't... He can, he, in, in, it, he's like a sprinter, where a cult leader has to be a marathon runner uh, cult, fair. cult leaders are under scrutiny every time they are out in the view of their you're right, you're right because he would crack he would yeah, crack he, he yeah. would crack because well, like you know he can like they show in the court case he like he's a he's put together he's mannered and then like by the time like somebody sets off his anger you see the beast inside if and everything goes according to his plan he can pull off the social aspect perfectly. Mm-hmm. If there's one tiny fucking pebble in his path, it's fucking murder, rape, and necrophilia. He just immediately jumps yeah. to that. Well, that's why I think he would have been really good in politics because yeah, you, he would have been a great because politician. Because honestly, you only need to be a public figure in public for... Brief amount of time. Yeah, for a little while. I mean, if Donald Trump can keep his composure for a fucking speech that's two hours, two and a half hours long... Ted Bundy could do it. I, I really think that. And a lot of it, I mean, that's why that's why people gave shit about George W. Bush, because he couldn't talk on the spot. He would say shit that he would backtrack. But, like, with Ted Bundy, he could lie his way out. Like, he would be the perfect, not the perfect president, but the perfect politician for being a piece of shit. I was going to say, you're giving him a little <laughs> bit too much credit there. Because the perfect politici- president? Well, po- no, not the perfect president, but a, politi- a perfect politician in the sense of 
politicians are no better than the dingleberries on my asshole. Oh, I thought you meant in the sense where he could put his flaccid penis in a decapitated woman's head and it would get hard. Well, see, that's where they differ. He does that. Politicians do that to little kids. In the same interview, Ted claimed to both... I never really came out of my shell. While detailing his adaptability to speak up and perform in class, he thrived in structured environments like the classroom. He felt like he was stunted emotionally and socially when it came to his peers, always having to pretend in order to fit in. He was not popular when it came to dating, only having one date that he could remember up through high school. He clarified, It wasn't that I disliked women or were afraid of them. It was just that I didn't seem to have an inkling as to what to do about them. That's another thing that's really big with, like, uh, serial killers. Later on, you find out that when it comes to... Obviously, there's the ones that have the super huge, like, violence and sexual content being mixed together to form their thought on women. Mm -hmm. But there is a lot of them where, like, they have almost, like... Uh, they're stuck in, like, a five-year-old's sense of how to, like, handle talking mm -hmm. to a woman. Like, I'll bring up both of the Eds in this case, Ed Kemper and Ed Gein... You know, Ed Ed Kemper was the kind of guy that would be murdering one of your best friends and accidentally touch your boob and be like, "Oh, and I was just so god darn ex well, that's so what happened gosh darn Kemper. embarrassed that I did that." As he's murdering a girl, you know, and then Ed Gein, you know, he was asking the people that he murdered later on out to go to ice skating mm -hmm. into the drive-in and shit like that. You know, it's almost like it's like a child's fucking view on what to do with a human life. You know, they don't really get it yet. I believe that's what happened in Kemper's case. When he was murdering somebody, he touched their boob and he goes, oh, sorry. Yep. Yeah, no, he did. He said he, he in an interview later, because he fucking loved to talk. Too. Oh, yeah. He was no Ted Bundy. He, but he loved was, to talk. And that's crazy is that his uh, IQ points were he was smart as fuck. Like, he was, he was a fucking, fucking genius. Yeah. IQ doesn't mean shit. Yeah, because you can be smart, it, but not have the social skills to apply it. When it comes down to it. He was it, very it, book smart. When it comes yeah. down to it, intelligence is one of the most relative things to talk about. Because it all has to do with perspective. Uh, yeah, it's all about perspective. Yes, he was a pretty smart guy, but like I said, in the end, he he gave up. He's somebody that we'll talk about in one of our later episodes yeah. because he's an enigma all in, uh, all in the his own. The co-ed killer. Let's go, mm -hmm. baby. But Another thing that's similar to him and Ted Bundy. To go back to what you were saying, um, <clears throat> Ted Bundy and both Ed's not great with women. PTK, his wife didn't even know he was fucking murdering them. No, yeah, he was. He was. And he was murdered. Murdered. The he cops didn't even know, man. They were looking for him for like twenty fucking years. Yeah, but yeah, like but, he, that, but BTK that's, was ugly. Yeah, that's the difference. Gary Ridgway. Kemper and Gein were, I guess. Okay, dude, Kemper <laughs> was six seven, dude. You can fucking plow anybody. If yeah, you're but six, you're still seven. fucking ugly. So he was. He was like a, the probably one of the most ugly motherfuckers. I'm just saying. He looked I'm like bubbles saying, from Trailer Park. Boy. I'm just Thank saying. You. BTK the probably wasn't fucking getting banged a bunch before his wife. If he grew out, well, it's fucking Kansas. <laughs> So? In the 50s. So? You ain't getting no supermodels You tell me there. there was no pussy in Kansas in the 50s? Oof. At all? <laughs> Nothing worth sticking into. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I'd fuck you Kansas people, I bet, maybe. Now. <laughs> <laughs> Go back to the 50s. Ted reminisced about the evenings he spent drinking alcohol unattended, roaming through the neighborhood and eavesdropping or peeping on neighbors. It wasn't always hiding in the bushes to listen to conversations for Ted, though. He would also creep through yards, spying through windows to watch women undressing in their rooms. Along with the nightly prowls, he also went through the trash bins in the neighborhood, searching for pornography that had been discarded. Ted attested that both of these behaviors stemmed from finding a collection of dirty magazines in a dump near his home while he was out on a walk. He's like a horny little raccoon. <laughs> He's out there looking for fucking through garbage for porn. These evening prowls may have led Ted to his first victim. On August 30th, 1961, eight-year-old Ann Burr and her siblings were put to bed at 8 p.m. Ann shared a first-floor room with her three-year-old sister, Mary, who was in a cast and recovering from a broken arm. She settled in bed that night wearing a blue nightgown. Sometime after the children had been put to bed, the Burr family members heard their cocker spaniel barking somewhere within the house, but assumed the dog was alerted by the intense rain that night. A few hours later, Anne woke up her mother, Denise, to inform her that Mary was crying. Denise walked both girls back to their bedroom and lulled them back to sleep. Around 5.30 a.m., Denise was roused by the sound of Mary crying again and went in to check on her. Denise was startled to find that Anne was no longer asleep in her bed. 
There was no sign of struggle, and the sheets of her bed had been gently folded back. Searching her home, she found a small window open in the living room. In the jam of the window was a bit of a red thread. She also found the front door was wide open. Denise was sure that she had locked and chained the door before bed. Grass blades had been tracked into the home, and outside the home they found a bench overturned and propped up against the house underneath the open window. Two shoe prints were found at the scene, both assumed to be from a men's size 6 or 7 Keds sneaker. An extensive search was conducted involving 100 soldiers from Fort Lewis and 50 National Guardsmen from Camp Murray, but no sign of Anne was found. The Burr's home was only a few miles away from the Bundy home. In fact, the Burrs were one of the families on Ted's paper route, and his great-uncle Jack taught classes only a few blocks away. With all of these factors in place and his eventual infamous career, Denise wrote to Ted and asked if he had anything to do with her daughter's disappearance. Ted emphasized that he was a normal 14-year-old boy. I did not wander the streets late at night. I did not steal cars. I had absolutely no desire to harm anyone. To this day, Anne's case remains cold. And this is where we're going to stop part one of Ted Bundy. We're going to be back. So we have a new studio coming up. Uh, we're going to start doing video and audio. Uh, pretty much we're going to be on YouTube. I'm going to try to figure out how to get videos on Spotify because I do have videos on Spotify. I would like to incorporate that so that our listeners can watch us because we're going to have a whole video setup. Uh, we're moving into the building June 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. So we might have a break in weeks, and whenever it comes to uploading, we have been pretty much moving the studio. Uh, all that following week, we're going to be pretty much busy. So it might be a little hard for us to record that week, but just know that uh, we will be in touch as soon as possible. The episodes have been lowered, <clears throat> but once we move in, you're going to get so much more. So it's worth the wait. Yes, we have had we we've had difficulty with recording because we've been in a room in someone's one of our in in Riley's house. So we're basically trying to get away from having that kind of you know us disturbing their peace whenever they're at home or chilling on a Saturday. So do bear with us. We will be back and we will be continuing the story. Uh, I want to say it's probably going to be three weeks until the next episode, but we're probably going to start recording in mass and we're just going to be either uploading video or video and audio so you'll see us again for part two in about three weeks and after that i am gonna personally work on getting part three out and finishing the series because this is a big one for us and it's one that we've all wanted to do for a while and yes it's been done a billion times before but that's like saying this Madden is fucking the same <laughs> as the last one, so you're never playing a football game again. Everybody's got their own take, and we want to talk about one of our favorites the way we want to do it. Whenever I saw that comment on our Instagram, like, oh, you're doing Ted Bundy? Wow, what are what's new? And it's like, well, man, it, it wouldn't be a true crime podcast without at least covering one of the most well-known names in true crime history. Like, that's just silly. That's just silly. We're going to be covering co-ed killer. We're going to be covering Ted Bundy, Jeffrey Dahmer, Ed Gein. We are going to start hitting it hard. But just know... These stories, I mean, they've been told a hundred times. We just put our own spin on them. That's all it is. Yeah, and we're fucking funny. And that's all I can say, dude. That's all I can say. You get some of these podcasts, are like... We have a bonus episode coming onto our Patreon real soon with the Weekly Tall Talk podcast. Uh, it's me and four other guys. We have a great time. Uh, that will be being posted, I believe, next week, if not the following week. Uh, so definitely check out our Patreon. Uh, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Spotify, Snapchat. If you're looking at your phone right now, there's a plus symbol. Hit that fucking button. Make me smile. Make me smile. And if you want to send us an email, our email is at metamisfortune at gmail.com. Don't hesitate to reach out. We love talking to fans. We love talking to people that you know have any kind of background or any kind of feed for the episodes we put out. I love that shit. We read every single one of your comments post emails everything so if you want to say we're doing a great job send us an email make us feel good if you want to tell us that we're doing shit send it to us we'll fucking ignore you yeah i want one of you guys to make me cry yeah oh please make dylan cry just attack dylan as a just a person dylan is like worse than jake oh that's like a bar so like you know how y'all attacked jake with his ponies and bronies and all that shit dylan is so much worse so attack dylan I would not say I'm worse than a brony. Before we let you fuckers go. There you go. What do an Okay, speaking of Jake, what do an alcoholic and necrophiliac have in common? 
What? They both like cracking open a cold one. Nice. That's a good one. <laughs> That's a good one. I'll give you that, that. I'm your diabetic daddy, Talon. I'm the intern, Dylan. And I'm Tyler Campbell, the fearless leader. I also have to give a special shout out to Jack, our research assistant. They have been killing the game for us when it comes to this show. I cannot thank them enough for all the hard work that they put into this show. Make sure you stay chaotic. Always listen to mom. And we're out. <laughs>